right. Good morning, everybody. It is great to see you. Uh, if you have a Bible, open it up to Ecclesiastes chapter 10 um, as you chuckle and we go there. We're, uh, we're going to finish this book, I promise. Um, it's looking like we will be done uh, before February, so that's encouraging. But we're not skipping anything. We're not uh, summarizing anything just for the sake of time. Um, and I actually am uh, really encouraged today um, as we think about the new year. Um, Solomon has a wise charge for you in your new year. Um, and I pray, and I have been praying this week, that we would all find it um, really, really convicting, uh, but really, really helpful. And um, there's so much over the next you know, week, next month, that you're going to be inundated with on how to maximize your year and how to you know, accomplish all your dreams and fulfill your destiny and all those kind of things. And, uh, you know, take that for what you will. Um, but as we'll see today, um, every word of God proves true. And um, you can accomplish and achieve all that this world has to offer. And Solomon would say, you get to the end of your life and you realize you played the fool. And I'm not saying don't go and try to be more productive this year and don't set goals or anything like that. We love all of those things. They're great things. They're good things. They're just not God things. Um, and I would encourage you to think about the motivations behind your goals. Uh, why are you setting those goals? Are you trying to prove something to yourself? Are you trying to, to find some worth or some value or some identity? Um, if you're looking to find your worth and your meaning and what you can produce, let me just tell you and save you some time. You're never going to find it. Solomon's already told us that over and over again. If you're trying to find worth and significance and something else you can achieve in this life, something else you can gain under the sun, you're not going to find it. So set goals, though, and be productive, because all that we're doing is, is meant to glorify the Lord. And we want to glorify Him in all that we do, whether we eat or drink. We glorify God in all things, whatever we do, in word or deed. We do it all for the glory of God. So what really matters is actually the motivation behind your goals. Set them. Be more productive. Try to attain those things. But what's the motivation? Is it to glorify Christ? Or is it to try to prove yourself or find yourself or, or develop some worth within you? If that's your motivation, you're never going to attain it. Let me just save you from that endeavor. Um, there's an empty, dead-end street that is calling your name if you're trying to to be more productive and, and earn a certain income this year uh, to feel significant. It's just not going to happen. Um, that's not even the sermon. Let's get into the text. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verses 1 through 7. If you'll stand for the reading of the Word, uh, we will jump right into this. And uh, we're doing a shorter sermon this morning. Uh, we've got youngsters in the room. And, uh, but any time in God's Word is a good time. So let's pray, or let's read, and then we'll pray. Um, Ecclesiastes 10, starting in verse 1, says this, Dead flies make the, perf, uh, the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place. For calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I've seen under the sun... As it was an error proceeding from the ruler, folly is set in many high places, and the rich set, sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. This is the word of the Lord. Father, 
as we come to you by your word. Um, God, I pray that your word and your, your spirit, um, God, would illumine the truth to us. That you would do the teaching this morning uh, through the inspiration of your Holy Spirit. Um, God, that you would guard me from error, keep me faithful to your word. But God, you would use these next few minutes um, as people who've been redeemed by your blood gather around your word, God, to hear from you. That you would edify us, that you would save, God, those that are in here that don't know you. And God, that you would make us more like your son. God, accomplish your purposes over these next few minutes. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Question as you sit down, have you ever thought about why you follow Jesus? If I asked you this morning, why do you follow Jesus? What would your response be? Like, what's the motivation behind you following Jesus? Is it just the good or the right thing to do? Is it to try to to win the approval of other men and women in your life? Is it because you think that following Jesus will get you better circumstances? Have you ever asked? I hope you have um, before today. But if not today, there's grace and mercy for all of us in here. Have you ever asked, hey, why do I follow Jesus? Like, what's the motivation? At the core level, why am I following Christ? Um, if it's for better circumstances, let me just tell you, Jesus told us that in this world we will have trouble. <laughs> um, so we don't follow him for, for easier circumstances. Um, if it's for the approval of men and women around you, um, Jesus said they hated me and they're going to hate you also. Um, so I would, you know, hate to burst that bubble. Um, but that's also why we, or not why we follow Jesus. Um, but why do you follow him? Is it for some reason under the sun? Or is it because he's the promised Messiah and Savior and Lord who lived for you and died for you and shed his blood for you and rose again? Proving that he is the only eternal son of God who became our substitute, became our sacrifice, became our lamb in our place. And I ask you this because Solomon has, has been telling us how foreign the wisdom of God is to the world. If you remember in Ecclesiastes 9, he was talking about the quiet whisper of biblical wisdom versus the loud shouts of the foolish ways of the world. And Solomon told us that biblical wisdom is often unrewarded. It's unappreciated. Um, he even says it's despised. If you remember, he told the story of a city that was besieged by a great king. This great and powerful king came against the city, and this poor wise man saved the city. But what does he say? He says that man wasn't even remembered. In fact, that man's wisdom was despised. That the wisdom from God is often despised by the world. Um, how many of you in your job, if you've ever been in your office and you quoted scripture and the rest of your coworkers said, praise be to God, a man who knows the inspired word and quotes it here in our workplace, right? Have any of you gotten that response before? If you're on a Zoom call and they see scripture, you know, on your wall or something like that, oh, look, a follower of the way, you know, praise be to God for his kindness. No, what do, you, what do we get? Wait, you still follow that thing? That old, outdated, oppressive, bigoted book of rules? Wait, you adhere to those things? Don't you know that's been disproven over and over again? Don't you know that those things aren't true? Don't you know that it's just this one big fabricated story? You know, don't you know that Jesus was just a Jew who tried to lead a rebellion against Rome and was killed for his trouble? That's what we hear over and over again. That the world often despises 
the soft whisper of the word of God. And living a life sold out to Christ is foreign to the world. If you didn't listen to our last sermon, I guess it's the last Sunday in November, uh, November 26th, I would highly encourage you to listen to it. Because we walked through Ecclesiastes 9 and Solomon told us that living a life sold out to Christ is foreign to the world. That loving your spouse and burning the ships and putting out all the old flames and being sold out to one woman for life, for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, in rich and in poor, till death do us part, is foreign to the world. And that loving your family well and leaving work on time to go home and be the spiritual leader of your house is foreign to the world. Not putting your hope in wealth is foreign to the world. Loving God and trusting Him in the midst of your suffering is foreign to the world. And here's the deal. We don't follow Christ for applause or approval from others. We don't live for the appreciation of the crowd. We live for the pleasure of our Heavenly Father. We live for the joy of knowing Christ. So, how do you follow Christ as we head into this new year in a world that gives no regard to Christ or to His teaching? How do you follow Christ when the values of the world are shouting one thing, but the Word of God is whispering and beckoning us to another direction? How do we go about living life under the sun in 2024? Well, Ecclesiastes 9 ends with a warning. As Solomon told us, all of these incredible wise things that a godly man or woman does He ends with a warning. If you want to flip back or look back on your phone to the last verse in Ecclesiastes 9, he says, wisdom is better than weapons of war. But then he says, but one sinner destroys much good. And I love how he ends with a warning. And he's going to continue that warning in chapter 10 that we'll look at in these first few verses. That sin will destroy much good. And here's the deal. Sin that festers and continues to go on unacknowledged, unrepentant, will destroy so much of the good that is built upon your obedience to Christ. And as we go into the new year, I have to ask, one of the things you should probably ask, is there a sin in your life that is unrepentant? Is there a a continuous sin in your life that you've become complacent with, that you're hiding from others? Is there a sin in your life that you haven't brought before the Lord and brought before a brother or sister in Christ that you can trust who can carry that burden with you, who can acknowledge that it's wrong, and who can help you walk in the ways of Christ. Because what do we know? Unrepentant sin will grow. James tells us in James chapter 1 that death, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, what does he say? When it's fully grown, brings forth death. That unrepentant sin can destroy much good. And Solomon today is going to tell us that foolishness works the same way. That we all know people You've seen the stories. You know the people. You have a relative that knows somebody, maybe is a friend of yours in high school or in college, that from a moment of sin or a few moments of foolishness have destroyed much good. A few moments without self-control at a bar changed the direction of their life forever. A few minutes online with someone that's not your spouse that separated a family forever. Teenagers, a few moments of doing something foolish to try to win the approval of other teenagers that changes the quality and the direction of your life forever. Solomon says, 
that sin, and today he will say that foolishness can destroy much good. And that's where he picks up in verse 1 of chapter 10. He says this, he says, dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. And what he's saying here is one fly in the perfume can give off a stench. The illustration used to be one drop of diesel in the water. Would you drink it? But all of you have friends in Germantown, or you know somebody who said, ah, right? We'll risk it, right? Uh, Hashtag 2023, right? It used to be an illustration that was applicable, not as much anymore. But what he's saying is there a little foolishness will outweigh wisdom and honor. You can build so much, and and the the point of the sermon is not about maintaining things that you've built, but so much of our obedience to Christ allows us to have great relationships with our spouse and, and godly relationships with our children and integrity at the workplace. And one moment of sin or one moment of foolishness can ruin it all. You know, it's like trust. Takes years to build and seconds to lose. In one moment of unrepentant sin, foolishness, can cause so much damage. And he says this in verse 2, a wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Now, as much as you might like this to be, this is not a political verse, right? He's not saying that the wise people are on the right and the fools are on the left, but I guarantee you, come November, somebody's tweeting this And they're saying that it applies to the political culture today, but that's not what he means. What he means here is that a man who's bought by the blood of Christ and indwelled by his Holy Spirit will be guided towards wisdom as he fixes his eyes on Jesus. Who's Jesus? He is wisdom incarnate. He's the wonderful counselor. He's the word of God. And a man who loves him and keeps his eyes fixed on him, he will be led towards wisdom. But what does he say? A fool's heart is not in love with Jesus. His eyes are not fixed on Jesus. So what will he do? He will live wisely according to the world, right? He may know how to make a lot of money. He may know how to play the corporate game. He may know how to invest well, but he knows nothing of who created him and why he was created and what he was put on earth to do, what is fundamentally wrong with him and what God has decisively done about it in Christ, And he may acquire and achieve all that this world has to offer. But he'll get to the end of his life. And he'll stand before his maker one day and he will realize that he played the fool. But what does Solomon say in verse 3? It's exactly what I just explained. He says in verse 3, Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. Even the foolish under the sun might be walking on the road. They might be living in a way that looks like things are going well for them. They might be acquiring more and attaining more, and it looks like all things are going well. But Solomon says that man is still a fool. He's still a fool. He may live in the penthouse and fly on a private jet and have access to all of the finest things of the world. He might not be tied down by any relationships, you know, all the world's cultural values. He might not be inconvenienced by children. He might be able to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, our world's definition of freedom. And Solomon says, that man's a fool. He says, the wise man loves his maker. The wise man loves his wife like Jesus loves the church. The wise man loves his children like the father has loved him. The wise man doesn't put his hope in his wealth. The wise man lives on mission for the glory of God. That's a full life. That's a good life. 
right there. That's a wise life. Then he says this in verse 4, if the anger of the ruler rises against you, if we start to feel opposition and experience opposition and persecution for following Christ, if this happens to you in 2024 in your office or in your workplace, in your family, if you've got brothers and sisters, cousins, aunts and uncles who are coming at you because you've surrendered your life to Jesus, what does he say? Do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. Proverbs are are full of a gentle answer turns away wrath. Proverbs 25, a soft tongue will break a bone. That calm perseverance in the midst of opposition and persecution is the posture of the believer. That we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. That outwardly we are wasting away, but inwardly we are being renewed day by day. As we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. I love the response in uh, Daniel chapter 3 of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When Nebuchadnezzar threatens them for following Yahweh to throw them into the furnace, what do they say? They say, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand. But if not, even if he doesn't, Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. They are calm, they are firm in the midst of opposition. They keep their eyes fixed on Christ. And then Solomon ends this little section with just more of what we've been saying. That under the sun, it looks like those that aren't following Christ are doing just fine. It looks like they're accomplishing more, achieving more, and he says it. In verse 5, there's an evil that I've seen under the sun. This doesn't make sense. This doesn't seem right. As it were, an error proceeding from the ruler. He says this, folly is set in many high places. There's foolish people in high places doing just fine. And the rich sit in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. And here's the deal. Solomon once again is telling us as we go into this next year that we don't follow Jesus to acquire all that this world has to offer. In God's kindness, he might give you great gifts of this world. It doesn't mean we forsake them. It doesn't mean we say no to the raise when your boss comes and says, hey, you've been working hard. Here's a raise. No, I follow Jesus. You know, I can't take, no. It just means we don't worship those things. It means we don't fall in love with those things. We don't put our hope in those things. We don't follow Jesus because we think it's the secret route to better circumstances. We aren't scratching God's back so that he'll scratch ours. That's religion. That's not following Christ. The reward of following Jesus is not circumstantial. The reward of following Jesus is Jesus. It's the joy of knowing him and walking with him and being with him. It's the joy of having Jesus in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the death, in the midst of the cancer, In the midst of of all of the brokenness of this world, it's the joy of knowing Christ, of being sorrowful in this world, yet always rejoicing that my God has overcome the world. And by his spirit in me, he set his spirit on me as a seal, as a down payment, that when I die, the the moment I'm absent from the body, I'm going to be present with the Lord. That Paul says that dying is actually better to live as Christ and to die as gain. It says, departing from my body is actually better for me. That's the joy of following Jesus. 
It's that we get Jesus. Following Jesus can get guys like Joseph sold into slavery, being falsely accused. Following Jesus can get Daniel thrown in the lion's den. Following Jesus gets three guys thrown in the fiery furnace. All while guys like Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar rise to power and seem to be doing well under the sun. Following Jesus sometimes means losing everything like Job. Family, possessions, cattle, children, losing it all. And what does Job 1 say that he did? He tore his robe and he worshiped. He says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And Job's wife tells him to curse God and die in Job chapter 2. And what does he say to her? He says, shall we receive good from God and not receive evil? And it says, in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Following Jesus sometimes means having a thorn in your flesh that God doesn't choose to remove. Following Jesus sometimes means receiving 39 lashes five times. Following Jesus sometimes means being beaten with rods. It sometimes means being thrown in prison. It sometimes means being flogged and stoned and shipwrecked and being put in danger. And that's all just what the Apostle Paul went through. Following Jesus sometimes means giving your life so that others might hear the good news of Jesus. But what does Paul say? He says, I count everything as loss. My earthly righteousness and all of my earthly possessions. It's all loss. Compared to what? The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things that I may know Christ and what? Share in his sufferings. That Paul actually counted it a joy to be persecuted for following Christ and to suffer for following Christ. That he was sharing in the very nature of his God who suffered so that we could experience the joy of Christ. Paul counted it a privilege. And here's how we end today. For some of you, God might actually call you to give your life or to, to, to be a sacrifice physically, to shed your blood. But let's be honest, for most of us, God's not calling you to, to go to a foreign people group. And to shed, if he does, that's a worthy call and our church will rally, rally around you and help you go. But you know what he's calling most of us to do? To just talk to the person in the cubicle next to you at work. You know, well, but that might you know, compromise my relationship at work. You know, I'm a business leader. You know, I, I can't really muddy those waters. That might you know, cause people to leave my job or people, customers to stop you know, shopping at our, our business. God is calling us to make sacrifices. In fact, I would, I would take it a step further. The Christian life, following, the call to follow Jesus is not a call to make sacrifices. It's actually a call to be a living sacrifice, according to Romans 12, that we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. There's not two classes of Christians, those that surrender their lives to Jesus and those who are don't. There's one type of Christian, and that's a disciple who picks up his cross and denies himself and loses his life and abandons all else to follow Christ. And for most of us, God's not asking us to, to sell our house and quit our jobs and go to the jungles and preach the gospel. But he is asking you to surrender your time. He is asking you to surrender your reputation on the altar so that your neighbors might know Christ. He is asking you to risk being that awkward believer on the street who has people over to ask them about their marriage and their family and their soul and what they believe. 
He is asking you to surrender all and sacrifice all on the altar. Why? Why do we do this? Because that's exactly what our God has done for us. We give it all. Why? Because he first gave it all. And we love him. We pick up this word, not because we're checking off a box, but because we love him. We obey Christ. Why? Because we love him. That's the good news. It's the old quote, and I'll pray, and we'll be done. But Solomon's charge for us this year is to follow Christ in full surrender, wherever that takes you. If it means leaving work early to go home and and share the gospel with your own children and love your wife like Christ loved the church, if it means risking some of your reputation to have people over and share the gospel, if it means giving up some of God's money that he's given you to send the gospel to the nations, whatever it may be, the wise man builds his house on the rock of Christ. So the question as we head into the new year is why do you follow him? And what are you building your life on? In the midst of the shouting of the world to, to go and attain all that life under the sun has to offer, Jesus says, no, the wise man follows me and builds his life on me. It's the old quote that only one life will soon be passed, but only what is done for Christ will last. Some of you know the old hymn, take my life and let it be. Somebody finish it. Consecrated Lord to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in endless praise. For some of you, I'd say for all of us, let that be our goal for 2024. To, to seek our Lord and say, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take every moment and every day and let it flow in endless praise. You want to maximize your 24? Not for your own 401k or for your business, but for the glory of God, for the things that will last? Let's be a living sacrifice. Let's abandon all else and follow after Christ. And as I've said a couple times, but I just want this to sink in. For many of us, God's not asking you to quit your job. In fact, he's put you right in your job so that you would advance the kingdom in your workplace. For many of you, he's not asking you, you know, to sell your home and to do all that. He's asking you to use your home as a vessel for the gospel, to bring people into it and feed them and care for them and pray with them and carry their burdens. Some of us, God will call to to radically change your life. But for others of us, he's asking us to use the gifts that he's given us in full surrender to him for the only thing that will last and the only thing that will matter in the end. It's for the glory of God and for the advance of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for a few minutes in your word. God, we're grateful for the wisdom of Solomon. God, I pray that yes, we would want to honor you in our business. And yes, we would want to do all for the glory of God. Yes, we would want to be excellent and serve people well and and have integrity in all of our endeavors this year under the sun. But God, the moment we stop using those to accomplish your purposes, we start to play the fool. So God, I pray 
If there's any unrepentant sin in here, God, that it would be brought to light. And for all of us, on New Year's Eve, God, that our one goal for next year would be to offer up our lives as a living sacrifice to you. And God, what a joy to be able to do that. What a joy that you call us into laying down our time and our money and our agenda and our hobbies and all of our schedules. God, to accomplish your purposes in our families, in our lives, with our coworkers. God, our lives will soon be past and only what we have done for Christ will last. So God, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. God, thank you that you gave all for us. God, it's a joy to give all back to you. God, you did not spare your own son, but you gave him for us. So God, it's a joy to give our lives and our time and our energy and our efforts back to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's give this song back to him as we respond.